Hello everyone, Eugenie here. Today we are talking babies, birth and breastfeeding with Brisbane homeopath Patricia Hatherley. She started out her working life as a teacher and then she went on to study homeopathy and practice and teach it worldwide. She's also worked as a childbirth educator and lactation consultant and she's written two books. The first is The Lax, A Materia Medica and Repertory and the second is The Homeopathic Physician's Guide to Lactation. So I have her Lax book which is integrated into my homeopathic computer software and I use it in the clinic literally every single day. It is so helpful. So the LACs are a group of homeopathic remedies that are made from the milk of various animals. So we have remedies made from the milk of a dog, a cat, a dolphin, a lion, a donkey, and yes, even humans. And there's many more, this just to name a few. It's a very fascinating group of remedies and I have a little confession to make. I love using them in my clinic. So part of getting Patricia on today was me being a little bit selfish. I really wanted to pick her brains about how she uses these remedies in her clinic and what got her interested in them. In this podcast, she speaks of how the remedy made from the milk of a kangaroo is helpful for people who have trouble settling into Australia. And of course, as synchronicity would have it, I had a case in my clinic just a day or so after recording this podcast, and I ended up prescribing this remedy made from the milk of a kangaroo to this client of mine. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to hear how she responds. So if birth, babies and breastfeeding interests you, you're going to love this podcast almost as much as I loved putting it together. Patricia is really a wealth of knowledge and I urge you to check out her website patriciahatherley.com or check out the show notes for more details. Let's jump right into it. Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout podcast where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world and now your host Eugenie Kruger. Hello everyone and a very warm welcome to Homeopathy Hangouts. Today, we are hanging out with homeopath, lactation consultant, educator, author, just to name a few, Patricia Hatherley. Welcome, Patricia. Hello. Hello, everybody. Thank you for inviting me. Um, I just want to say I am ridiculously excited about speaking with you today because pregnancy, birth, babies, breastfeeding, that is totally my jam. I get so excited about that. And you are the expert. So to have you here is such a treat. I'm just wondering, before we delve into all that good stuff, can you give our listeners just a rundown of how you first found out about homeopathy and how you then decided to uh, study it and teach it? Well, it was never on my radar. When I was growing up, I was from a medical family and I did, you know, explore medical options, but um, went into teaching. Um, So I really didn't know anything about alternative medicine. In fact, I lived in a... A regional city there were certainly no homeopaths or naturopaths living there um i i probably heard about naturopathy first i had a healing crisis after my second child i had a detached retina and it was pretty low point in my life and i got interested in reading about nutrition and looking after myself which is really important when you're a new mum and um it was then when we came to brisbane in the mid 80s um we've heard about a a man who had studied some medicine and then he had studied homeopathy. So we started going to him with the children and I ended up working for him. Um, I had an early morning job between 7 and 9 a.m. I would go in and um, open up and sort of do the filing and and I would make up medicines for patients and I was there for a year and uh, that got me interested. So then I went and explored it at the college and studied it. 
Amazing. And then how does the lactation consultancy turn in, uh, a tie-in with all of this? Because that's another huge passion of yours. Well, that was just another thing. I mean, I'd always been interested in, in breastfeeding. I mean, I used to breastfeed my dolls and, you know, whenever anybody around like an aunt or a friend was feeding, I would sit and watch. I, I was just always fascinated. And, um, and I joined the Nursing Mothers Association when I was pregnant with my babies and became a counsellor. And then... 1989 when the international accreditation to be a lactation consultant was available in Australia so that was the second year that was available I sat that exam and I was accredited for 20 years as a lactation consultant so I'm no longer accredited but I do keep up my SERPs and and I'm interested still so it's 45 years now I've worked with mothers and babies you know Mm -hmm. certainly in that field and I've written two books on milk so it's you know it's a very narrow focus but it's but it's certainly a passion of mine. Amazing. And um, I learned a little fact about you somewhere that you're the oldest of six daughters, right? Yes, I am. I was a little mother. In fact, when my mother had number five child, I was seven. I used to get up at dawn at five when she cried and I would change her nappy and give her her bottle. And and then when mum had the next baby, I was 13 and we were in a two-story house then and I would sleep downstairs next to the crib and I would give her the 2 a.m. bottle then go up to my beds and gave my mother a bit of sleep. But, I mean, I was just always into babies, you know. I just loved them. I was babysitting for money when I was 11. Mm-hmm. I was in high demand. But I just really loved to do it and I was good at it, you know. I took good care and it was my thing. I, I identified with that story so much when I heard it the first time because I have a sister who's 10 years younger and I was that little mother always that, you know, was my mum used to say I'm her first mum and my mum is the second mum. And, yeah, just loved it, you know. She was like my little baby. It was so fun and, um, yeah, it's very lovely. So tell us a little bit about human breast milk. Why is it like the ultimate superfood? What is so amazing about him, human breast milk? And um, tell us some fun facts. Jeannie, we don't have long enough for that. <laughs> Look, um, I mean, if people are interested, there is a lot of information about that on my website. You know, there's a whole section on breastfeeding, but it's it's a very unique substance. I mean, interestingly, I, I could I guess I could start off by saying that every milk is species specific, and there is a chart about that on my website. So, human milk is for human babies. It's only got it's eighty five percent water. Um, it's only one percent protein. It's about 5% fat and it's 7% lactose. So human milk, um, primate milk, dolphin milk, and interestingly the milk of the donkey are all high in lactose. So they're all intelligent animals. So that's important because it makes the brain grow. Mm -hmm. Um, Cow's milk has got three times the protein that we've got and got hardly any lactose. So it's really not the most appropriate substitute for humans the donkey's milk is actually the more appropriate substitute but the thing is people need to realize is that you know we gestate our babies and nourish them through our placenta for nine months and then the baby is born because if it stayed in any longer it wouldn't fit through the birth canal and so mammals are either altricial or precocious so humans are altricial mammals that means they need a nest to complete their development and the development then at the breast is what happens then. And primates lactate for six times the gestation rate. So that's supposed to be till over four. The babies are supposed to have access to their mother's milk. And if you go among, um, 
you know, go to the Akung or you go in the highlands of New Guinea or you go into the Amazon forests. I mean, those women would be feeding their babies for five or six years because if they didn't, they would die. You know, there is there is no substitute. That's what you have to do. And interestingly, a lot of those cultures practice polygamy. So, you know, that, that mother and baby are, you know, doing their thing separate. Um, and that's the way I think nature has designed it to keep population down. I think we're probably only supposed to have two or at the most three babies in our lifetime and they should be a good five or six years apart. Um, and, I mean, I don't know whether your audience knows much about Erickson. He was a psychologist who was a disciple of Freud and he has a model called the eight epigenetic stages of man. People know more about Maslow, I think, but um, Erickson's uh, model, I think, is more superior. And he says that those first two stages which go from birth till four, that's the primal period, are with the mother. You know, when a baby starts to crawl away um, but can crawl back to the breast, you know, he can trust his world, you know, and then, then he can leave and come and leave and come and then he develops a sense of autonomy and then he's quite happy to go out and go to kindy and go to school by mum, you know, by the age of four. But uh, those first four years are really important to be with the mother and that she has a unique immunological profile to deliver to the baby um, to mature all the organ system and the gut and the microbiome. And interestingly, there's a substance in human milk or well, it's in body fluids. It's called microRNA and it has the epigenetic tags going back 60 years. So, you know, the mother's milk will give the ancestral message, if you like. So if you think of a baby a bit like, a hard drive that needs its software uploading, the milk will do that apart from anything else. But, I mean, there's a lot more I could say about it. I mean, but wow. studies that have been done you know, where they've followed long-term, you know, people who have been breastfed, you know, they're just um, more healthy. They any, any of the big diseases you can name, heart disease, diabetes, osteoporosis, they're all linked to not being breastfed. You know, it, is, it has a huge Im impact on society. Mm -hmm. And then the scary part is if you look at birth these days, and I'm just thinking about the clients I see in my clinic on a daily basis who there's so much unnecessary intervention during pregnancy and in the birth process these days. So, so many of our clients end up with C-sections and then that hormonal cascade doesn't happen, which then means the milk isn't being established properly. And then the mothers are not supported in their breastfeeding journey and then they give up. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. It's a bit of a worry, isn't it? This whole, you know, growth in intervention. I mean, I guess, you know, people sort of think it's helping, you know, if you can conceive a baby in a test tube and then have it delivered by caesarean. And, but it does interfere with the oxytocin imprints that are supposed to go with all of that. And if the baby's exposed to oxytocin at gestation and through labour, there's a big feedback mechanism. And then at the breast, the receptors are formed in the child. And if they don't get that exposure, those receptors are not there. And... Uh, that's when the autism spectrum will raise its head. So, you know, it's really quite important. Um, but, you know, if women go to hospital and get processed, the chances of a seizure certainly raise, you know, increased. And, of course, you go on the drip and have the artificial oxytocin to have the labour expedited. Again, we know that that interferes with oxytocin receptors. Um, but, you know, if, if it's a good normal physiologic birth, you know, na nature 
has kind of deigned that babies have the ability to find their way to the breast, the same as all mammals can do. The bubbies on the mother's abdomen um, squiggling around, you know, she's, she's getting oxytocin peaks every time the baby has a little wriggle. They've done research on this, really interesting. And so she's just falling more and more in love with her baby. And by the time it gets to the breast, within that first hour, the baby's very alert, can crawl, creep, you know, is looking for the nipple. But if it can imprint, doesn't matter what sort of nipple she's got, it knows that that's the nipple that they need to go to. It can be long, short, wide, whatever. As long as nothing else goes in the mouth, that the babies would be fine unless it's got a tongue tie. Amazing. And it's like a lesson, you know, if I struggle, I'll survive, you know, I got this. And, of course, when it's on the abdomen, it's getting the mother's bacteria in the nose and mouth, and that's really important for establishing the gut microflora, really important for nobody to touch the baby except the mother um, in that time. So there's a whole lot of little things that go on, mm. yeah. Amazing. And um, homeopathy blows my mind on a daily basis because we have remedies made from pretty much anything on the planet, including human breast milk. And I'm wondering if you can maybe tell our audience a bit about our breast milk remedies, maybe uh, from the various different animals and uh, your book that you've written about it um, and how, you know, these remedies are usually prescribed by practitioners, not something you're going to buy off the shelf, but maybe how you've used some of these milk remedies in your practice. Well, for a start, if, if a mother's lactation is um, failing or she has to wean early, she can actually make a remedy herself from her own breast milk. And the recipe on how to do that is on my website. It's very easy to do. And that means that she's then got that to give to her baby, which is, I think, lovely. Um, but it is, it is a remedy that... Um, Hmm. So on the psychological level, lacumanum, which is our remedy made from human milk, um, is a remedy for good self-esteem, yeah, having a good sense of self about being comfortable in your own skin, um, being able to be alone and not have the need of being in the group or being accepted by a group, but, but happy enough to participate in a group. But then on the physical level, um, it is a remedy for maturing the gut. You know, so there's a lot of people who have got big issues with the digestive system. It's a remedy that we would certainly consider in those instances. Um, and it's, it also does affect the um, endocrine system. Sometimes with women, you know, it's a good remedy for mastitis sometimes. Um, but I guess you and I know that it's it's a complex issue. It's not a matter of you just have the remedy for the what. But um, it was just more... certainly... More for interest's sake. Sorry, it was just more for interest's sake because the yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, just to yeah, give, give them an idea of some of them. But certainly, the the, in, the instance of being able to make one from your own milk, I think, is something that would interest your viewers. And how to do that? So I'm, it's very easy to do. You just need a few bottles and a bit of good quality, you know, high grade vodka would probably do it. Um, and then you then you've got it, you know, and and you can still give that to your baby. If they're sick, you know, like when you're breastfeeding a little toddler and they get get a cold, you know, they often go to the breast more often in order to help get well. And that's because the baby's saliva will inoculate the breast and the breast milk will immediately make antibodies to whatever it is the baby's got. That's the other amazing thing about human milk. It's so dynamic, you know, so dynamic. 
And the other thing too that may interest your viewers is that it's full of stem cells. Like they can be that can be made into anything. So, you know, it's a it's quite an amazing substance. It is. I'm very glad that you mentioned about uh our listeners making a remedy from their own breast milk. I was hoping you would mention that. It was going to be one of my questions if you didn't. But what are some other instances of why somebody might want to use that? Because I know a lot of ears would be perking up right now. A remedy made from my own breast milk. Wow. You mean with with children or do you mean generally? Yeah, no, no. With children, like a mum listening to this right now, probably having her mind blown going, wow, I can make a homeopathic remedy that I can use for my child with my own breast milk. Can you maybe say a little bit more about that? Look, I think if it's certainly the child is um, being bullied at school, not, you know, not feeling good about him or herself, it, it, it would really help in that situation. Um, certainly, too, if the if the little one's got bad sinus issues, it would really help. Um, certainly, gut issues, it would really help. Um, so, just to, every system in the body really is helped by human milk because it's it's designed to mature the body and make it complete. So, mm-hmm. I don't know whether that's helpful, but I mean, certainly, if a mother has her own milk to give to her own child, you know everything that 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 child needs is there in in that milk i used to think it'd be really good to have milk banks and make formula from human milk and i think it still has its place but there's nothing that will beat the mother and child transmission because of the whole genetic epigenetic thing you know see you're younger than i am i mean i grew up in the 50s and i had all the childhood diseases i don't know whether you had a chance to have mumps measles and chicken pox but yeah a lot of women these days don't get them, and so that's not in their milk. Um, whereas is it was in my milk because mm. I had those and those antibodies were there. So, so that you know that's the kind of thing that you need to consider with what you can pass on to to your little one. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'm wondering if you would mind sharing some cases from your clinic with our listeners of where you've used some of these remedies uh, made from uh, human milk, but also the milk of other animals. And maybe you can tell us a bit about your book that you've written about this, your books. Look, there's a lot on my website that people can go and read because it's it's quite complex. Um, Okay, so we have... We're talking with to mums here. So there is a remedy made from camel's milk, which is a good remedy for teenagers. Um, and I've written a few cases of this. And often the issue is that they're not liking school. School sucks, can't stand teachers, they can't tell me what to do. And the the child or the individual is very, very concerned about appearance and about that, that side of things, which is very much a teenage insecurity thing. Um, so doesn't want to study, just wants to play around, is exploring sexual preferences. So that, there's, that is covered by that remedy, which is a bit unusual. Do I like boys? Do I like girls? That sort of thing. Um, so that that's an interesting, that's a very interesting one. Um, the milk of the dolphin, on the other hand, is a great remedy to give mums just before they have a baby. Um, dolphins make wonderful midwives and uh, they there was back in the 70s a place in um, New Zealand you could go to to birth with dolphins and there was a midwife up in the Black Sea, a male midwife, Igor Shakovsky, he used to take women to the Black Sea to birth with the dolphins. So 
you know, if you go, if a pregnant woman is near a dolphin pool, I'll often come up, the dolphins will come. They, they have this actual connection. And interestingly, if you, you can Google this, but, you know, if you look at the development of the zygote before the limbs start to bud, the human one, you've got that head and that little tail, and look at a dolphin one, they're identical. We actually have a, a similar number of chromosomes and there is a, there is a theory that there was an, a line of evolution that connects the dolphins to us. Um, so that's why around birth that there is this connection. So there's a big article about that on my website people might like to read. It's a really interesting story. Mm -hmm. What else do we have? Okay, so we've got milk made from the kangaroo. And um, I have found clinically that that's a remedy to give people who have come from another country to settle into Australia and haven't settled well, maybe getting hay fever or feeling maybe alienated and not settled into the land. So I found that that's good. Um, what else? The milk of the elephant is a good remedy to support women around the area of abortion and infertility. Um, the elephants are great matriarchs. You know, they, they, uh, they, the herd is mostly female and, and little ones, and when the males are 10, they get kicked out. So it is, it's a very female energy, and, uh, and it's like all of the, the females are intent in looking after the little ones. You know, when, when an elephant gives birth, all the elephants will then come and surround her to protect her and the baby. If anything's wrong with the calf, a whole herd stops to make sure everything's okay. Um, the Maasai say that the elephant has a soul. You know, it's an interesting kind of connection. They never forget. Okay, so what are some other ones? Um, the milk of the wolf is very interesting. It's um, it's about being alert and dependent and having high energy. Um, very complex remedy, that one, and I actually have used that a lot, that remedy. Um, and it has a connection to the dolphin. They say that the dolphin evolved from the wolf. The wolf took to the ocean at some stage and evolved into the dolphin. Wow, I haven't heard that one before. Um, yeah, nothing, nothing surprises me these days, though. I'm trying to keep an open mind to everything. <laughs> um, the, the milk of a dog is one I use very often, and um, uh -huh. the milk of a cat I've used a few times. Can you tell us some more? Because I could literally sit here all day and listen to you talk about these remedies. So do you Look, have the The milk of a cat is um, well known for eye trouble, you know, those kind of senses. It's not, not a remedy I've actually ever used in clinic, interestingly enough. Um, milk of the dog I have, definitely. Um, and it's a big remedy for tonsillitis, you know, strep throat. Um, I find that often it'll come up in people who have been adopted. They actually don't have a mother and don't have any sense of what mothering is or and certainly with women who come in who are older and have got children and they, they feel a little bit at sea with an anxious about mothering and confident about mothering, that the milk of the dog is one of the ones that will help them with that. Because the dog will mother anything. Like you can give a litter of kittens that's mothered to a dog and if she's feeding, she'll feed them. You know, she, they feed anything. I mean, the, the internet abounds with pictures of dogs feeding fawns and pigs and guinea pigs mm. and you know they're just very maternal mm. um so there's a big issue about mothering and not having those models of mothering that'll come up in this remedy yeah mm -hmm. 
I've often prescribed that remedy for bullying as well. It's one of the top ones that I found for children who get bullied at school and then I've given them laconinum, you know, that underdog theme. And yeah, um, yeah once a little bit too successfully because my the mum reported that this child, her child who was getting bullied, after the remedy, punched the boy in the face. So it worked probably a little bit too well, but he did stand up for himself. <laughs> Use your yeah. words. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, there is a saying that there's nothing lower than a dog's belly, you know, and, and that's that whole energy around lacaninum is, you know, if you're being bullied and you don't have a good self sense mm -hmm. of self, um, yeah, I can see that that would work really well. Mm -hmm. um, something that always amazes me because homeopathy is my first go-to for anything that happens in our house. And whenever people say to me, uh, you know, I have a headache or I have mastitis or I have this or that. And I say, well, have you tried a remedy? And they go, I didn't know you could use homeopathy for that. I'm like, you can use homeopathy for literally everything. So I'm wondering, can you maybe run our listeners through some situations in pregnancy, birth, uh, breastfeeding, maybe trying to establish breastfeeding, birth trauma, just what sort of things can they use homeopathy for in this in this process? I know me and you know we can use it for everything, but maybe give some specific examples of how homeopathy can be used for this very important stage. In a way, I'm kind of loath to do that, Eugenie, because it, every 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 situation is is different and it's individual, and there's nothing routinist. Um, like for instance, a, a niece of mine, she's new into the family. She married my nephew. Just emailed me yesterday. She she'd woken up with um, some mastitis, and she had a kitten. She took belladonna, and it, and it was definitely bryonia that she needed. So you know, I just sometimes think you know it's. It's always better, I think, to talk to your homeopath um, mm -hmm. unless it's, you know, you've had a fall and you want arnica, that, that's pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, but, it, you know, it's such an individual thing. Mm -hmm. But certainly, as you say, it can be used for everything yeah. um, except for setting bones, although, you know, Rutograv low it will help bones to, yeah. to heal. Um, I was more thinking like specific situations like, you know, like I know we can use it for everything, but maybe some examples. So you can use you can use homeopathy for mastitis. You can use it if you have trouble with your milk coming in. You can use it for. Well, certainly I use homeopathy for a lot of mastitis, a lot of the mastitis. And, um, and if you go and look in the rep repertory, that's, our, of course, our book where we, we will look up to see the range. But under mastitis, there are dozens of remedies, dozens of them. Um, and so it is a very much an individual thing. And, again, you, you you would have to know all the intricacies. Like if someone woke up in the afternoon after a nap with mastitis suddenly that had come on suddenly, it would definitely be a belladonna mastitis because of the timing, the sudden inset. Um, if mastitis came on in a woman who'd been breastfeeding for eight or nine months and she just got her periods back, it would probably be a phytolacca mastitis um same as it would be phytolacomastitis if she got that in the first week just after she's had a baby because these are times when there's hormonal shifts mm. and the body's not working so well um you know if there's a lot of flu type symptoms with mastitis it would probably be a bryonia mastitis mm -hmm. um a humana mastitis is one that will change sides and there's often anger towards the mother 
mm-hmm. and not having helped out or something else. You know, there's some issue mm-hmm. um, with mothering. Um, and again, of course, the swapping sides, you would think of lactoninum, which again is another one for mastitis. Um, I haven't used any of the other milks for mastitis, although I understand that the milk of the camel has been used for mastitis, mm-hmm. but I've seen it as a remedy that's copped up in breast cancer, actually, um, which is another issue altogether. Mm-hmm. But um, they're always helpful and they'll always do something good and just check with your homeopath to make sure that, uh, you know, you got it spot on and that you looked at everything because sometimes the oddest little thing someone won't think about will lead you to a remedy absolutely yeah and so So just this is an interesting little one i just had an email from a patient who's overseas this week and and two of her girls had just started wetting the bed at night just like out of the blue really drenching and um of course you know i had a bit of a look at it and uh and she said that she had um she's very strict with the diet this mother and because it had been someone's birthday, she'd given them some cakes that she'd made on coconut flour. And she said they hadn't had that for a while. She just happened to put that in the email. And I went, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to explore creosote and coconut because creosote is a remedy that we often think for children who wet the bed at night. And interestingly, creosote is made from burning coconut husks. So that's what caused it, just giving the coconut in the diet. So I said, get the coconut out and give the remedy and everything Mm. will settle. But that was just a few days ago, so I'll wait to hear. But you've got to be a little bit of a detective when you're a homeopath because causation is really important. You know, Mm. what what changed, what happened, you know, to disturb your, you know, your equilibrium. I love listening to stories uh, in the clinic and I know our listeners do too because that's the number one feedback that people always give me. I love listening to stories of how homeopathy has helped people. So I wonder if you can maybe share a little bit more about some cases that you've seen in your clinic, um, what sort of cases you see often. Um, Yeah, just whatever you'd like to share. Probably with babies, one of the things that I'll see most often would be reflux. Yeah, so when they're being breastfed. Interestingly enough, um, probably the remedy that would crop up most for that is that one made from bicarbonate of soda, that carb. Um, And those babies are often very sensitive to a lot of things that are in the mother's diet, uh, particularly dairy. That's a big one, you know, big one, big one, big one. I mean, the other thing that will probably interest your listeners is that you know if, if one of the mum gives birth to a bub that's got any kind of mid midline abnormality you know certainly the most gross would be some sort of cleft but just a tongue tie or something with the umbilicus or hypospadias that's a sign that epigenetically there's been tuberculosis probably three or four generations back and that comes down as an inability to tolerate dairy they're the people who do not tolerate dairy at all well, and it's really important to get that out of the diet. Um, And certainly when babies are feeding and if they start to bite, I usually just say, okay, you just introduce solids. What do you get? I'm giving yogurt, I'm making custard, and, of course, the mother has perhaps not had any dairy much at all, but that's aggravating the baby and she still needs to keep that out of the diet. 
Um, I do always recommend that mothers have cream and have good butter because they're made from fat and got the tiniest little bit of protein in it so that just keeps the babies in touch with dairy so that later on, you know, when they're definitely a toddler and everything's mature, they could probably tolerate little bits of dairy every now and then and not be an issue. But you've got to be very careful early on and you can look for those clinical signs and dairy is definitely an issue. You said something interesting about the bite because a lot of people listening to this would never have thought that you can use a homeopathic remedy for a baby who bites at the breast. Just showing again how you can use homeopathy for everything. Have you got any other It's usually Calpfos is usually the remedy, uh, which is one of our children's constitutional remedies. See, what's happening in that situation? So we know from research that a baby at the breast has what's called synchronous suck. So a baby can suckle and breathe and swallow at the same time because the milk is physiologic. But when a baby's been given a bottle of formula, so it's goat's milk or cow's milk, they can't suck and swallow and breathe at the same time. And so that's why every now and then you take the bottle out and they kind of catch the breath. So when the baby starts to bite, it's doing that because they're struggling to breathe and feed. So they bite to get a pause so I get a breath and then they can go back to feeding. So that's what's happening there. So it's like a little bit of transient apnea and uh, kelp is the remedy, and you, but you've got to get the dairy out, yeah. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Any other um, stories that you want to share or anything that you see very often in your clinic? And actually I'll add in there, you have a very long history of experience. Is there anything, any conditions popping up these days that you didn't see 10 or 20 years ago? Can we talk about vaccination? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I do see a lot of children who, you know, haven't coped well with their schedule when they come in. Um, and there are some certain, certainly some remedies that will bring them back to wellness, and that can certainly be done with homeopathy, which is good. There's actually, I have a newsletter called Milk Matters, which I archived on my website, and uh, the very last one I published is still there on the homepage, and it's the story of a child who was three when she came and she was autistic and she went to normal school by the time she was five. And that was just using homeopathic medicines over those couple of years to get her back to wellness. Um, so the, the scope of what we can do with our remedies is quite profound. But um, kids with ADHD and learning difficulties, that sort of thing, um, particularly if there's been trauma in the birth or they've not coped well with the vaccines or they've had a lot of antibiotics and it just depends what's going on. We can help to kind of fix that damage. If you like, it's kind of get them on a good start again. It's a quick fix, but it's certainly doable. Yeah. Um, Anything else that you want to share from your clinic? Just thinking of children. Mm -hmm. Um, they're probably the biggest ones when you think about it. I mean, well, the other thing too is uh, ear infections and the needing of grommets. That's that's another big issue that will come up. Mm. There is a remedy, a couple of remedies that are quite specific for that, so that, that can sort that out. And certainly, you know, when children have got those kind of pathologies and you give a remedy, it's possible for the eardrum to burst. 
um, and if people freak about that, but of course that's the body's ability to drain things away and then it will heal, same as a cut on the skin will heal, so it's not no big deal. But um, that can be fixed with homeopathy so that the child doesn't have to have the anaesthetic and, you know, have the grommets put in. But then that'll often come back to dairy intolerance too, that one. Yeah. I heard you in one of your um, chats that you did, one of your interviews, you mentioned something about the importance of zinc for uh, new mothers, which I didn't know about. Can you maybe share a little bit about that with our audience? Yeah. Well, zinc is stored in the body in the gonads. So in the males, it's in the testes and in the female, in the ovaries. And uh, they know from research that at the moment of conception, there's this thing called the zinc spark where there's lots of zinc in those gametes. It makes for a really healthy conception. So it's really important for that to be on board. The same is also important too for folinic acid. I mean, we say folic acid, but folinic Acid is the activated form, so you need to look for a supplement that's got folinic acid. But both the males and the females should be on it for at least three months before they have a baby because the male is, is giving half the genetic material. And, you know, if the folate is good, then you're less likely to have a tongue tie. You know, that's really good advice to have. But interestingly, it's zinc that's implicated in colic because at the end of a pregnancy, the estrogen drives up copper and so your zinc kind of lowers, and that's why at the end of pregnancy you're a bit blah and you've got white spots, you've got stretch marks, you don't feel like eating. You know, they're all signs of low zinc. But, but if the copper's high, it means you can have good contractions to have the birth. So that, that's why nature does it that way. So then afterwards it's really important to get the zinc up in the diet because zinc is a cofactor for all the enzymes in your body, but particularly for the enzyme that deals with the sugar of milk. So if the mother's zinc is low and stays low, the baby's more likely to get bellyache and colic because they're lacking zinc. So zinc-rich foods are really important. You know, zinc supplements really important in those early days um, to help Bubby establish the enzymes in the gut to cope with the sugar of milk, yeah. The other thing that, that can really help in that situation is to make sure the mother's diet is um, devoid of simple sugars and really high in protein and fat. So cover the palm of the hand with protein five times a day. So whatever. So most women are around about 60 kilos, so they need their ideal body weight plus 20 in protein grams a day, so usually about 80 protein grams a day. So an egg is six, piece of steak is 25, piece of fish is 15, tin of beans is 10, like, you know, you don't have to count them up, but if you cover the palm of the hand five times a day, you will get enough mm-hmm. and make sure there's all the range of fats. So you need the short-chain fatty acids for the it's prebiotics in the gut. So that's chicken skin and bacon fat and lamb fat, mm-hmm. butter, cream, and you need those mid-chain fatty acids that you're going to get from olive oil and those sorts of oils, nuts and seeds. They're good for the baby's skin. And then the omega-3 fatty acids that you're going to get from seafood are going to be good for the brain, central nervous system development for the myelin that gets laid down. And if they're not in the diet, they're not in the milk. So that's really important. And the other good thing about seafood is you've got lots of zinc in it as well as the omega-3, and it's a good source of protein. So I say to mums, you know, in those early months, have seafood every day. You know, make it a lunch thing. Have sushi 
you know, have a tin of tuna with a salad, that sort of thing, um, just to keep that, that up. Mm-hmm. I mean, interestingly, zinc is the only mineral in human milk that drops off after five months. Wow. Why is that? Well, it has to have something to do with evolution. I mean, when we lived in the caves, it would have been really hard to catch a dinosaur, but really easy to go down to the river or the whatever and get the yabbies and the prawns and the shellfish and fish. So we had mm-hmm. high zinc foods, which were weaning foods given to babies. So the ability or need for it in the milk just dropped off. So, so it's quite fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Patricia, um, can you share with us any advice that you have for mothers to ensure they have a great pregnancy and birth and beyond? Just some words of wisdom. Look, I think it needs to start three to six months before, you know, if you've been on the oral contraceptive pill to come off early, um, really focus on good nutrition that is zinc-rich, folic acid-rich, Um a conception that uh, is physiologic is optimal. Um, and then, of course, you know, it's so hard for women these days. We know they're the breadwinner and they have a stressful work environment. But it is a time when, if you can, to, to go a little bit more inward. I mean, in my mother's time and my grandmother's time, you know, where they would just knit layettes and sew and, you know, that you'd spend that time in the rocking chair preparing for the baby. We don't do that now. We just buy everything online. And so that's, I think, something to be to think a bit about, you know, to kind of have that connect I think is important. Um, but certainly eating well is, is just super important. And I know that's really hard in the early weeks. But see, that's when homeopathy can be amazing, you know, most women at sepia you know, is, is a bit of a go-to remedy, but, I mean, it can be other remedies too, of course, but certainly morning sickness is definitely able to be dealt with with homeopathy and miraculously so, really. It's just such a difference. Um, and, of course, if women get colds and things like that in the pregnancy and they worry about taking pharmaceuticals, well, then, again, if they come and see the homeopath and just get whatever you need to get you through that is a safe option to do which is great um maybe get a doula you know don't go to hospital birthing classes you know go to your local yoga instructor who does birth education will just make you look a bit more holistically at the whole thing and and not be so linked into that this is what happens in hospital um more confident to stay home for as long as you can before you go to hospital to to, to birth because your only reason you go to hospital is to make sure that if anything goes wrong, you're in a situation where it can be dealt with. But, um, I mean, to birth is a normal physiologic act, the same as intercourse is, the same as defecation is. I mean, it is a normal physiologic act. Um, But certainly there is a more complex one and the things can go wrong. But to have confidence in your body's ability to do it, I think is really important Um, and to be really looking forward to the birth making sure that you've got good support around you afterwards. So wise women um, is important. Um, a, a mother who's maybe breastfed or an aunt or someone you can talk to if you have issues because the first few months are very difficult. You're low on sleep, you're tired, you might have stitches. A whole host of things could be going on and it's important to eat really well and just be able to be con- connected to your baby. 
Um, once you get through that, things are fine. But that first 40 days is pretty tough going. Um, but, you know, it's doable and it passes. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, any any breastfeeding issues, get a lactation consultant, see your homeopath, because they can all be fixed, yeah? They can all be fixed. Um, I've helped women through some most amazing pathologies, certainly thrush in the nipples, when nipples are just about dropping off. You know, homeopathy can fix all of that and, and changes in diet. Um, but just getting the right help at the right time will sort it out. Mm-hmm. And, and, and focus on how good this is for the baby, but also for the planet. I mean, for 500 calories a day, a woman will produce litres of milk, which on the open market are worth thousands of dollars. I mean, there have been serious economic papers written about the contribution to the GDP of a nation that breastfeeding does. It's, it's, it's tremendous. You're not, you're not cutting down trees and grazing cattle and, you know, got manufacturing for making milk and processing milk and making bottles and transport and electricity and advertising. You just go on and on and on. It's huge, it's huge. So, you know, we're all wanting to make the world a better place and there's no better way to start than at the breast. I've never thought about it until you've just mentioned that, but, yes, all of those formula tins that don't end up in the waste. Amazing. It is, it is. Another good reason to breastfeed if you can. (laughs) It is. And it's kind of interesting that, you know, when AIDS first came out and there was this big kind of jerk reaction of like babies and mothers have to be separated because people were worried. Um, In Africa, you you may even know of this, it was disastrous. I mean, you know, out in the communities, babies were just dying because, you know, they can't afford to buy formula. There isn't electricity or clean water and so there's been a lot of research done now and they know that there's a lot of things in breast milk that are specific for dealing with AIDS. And so, you know, women can certainly, if they've got AIDS breastfeed, as long as they take their antivirals. And so the babies are doing okay and society's just going along the way it was before, which is really, really important. Mm-hmm. Mm. Lots so, of things to think about. So just before we wrap up, can you tell me your top three remedies for yourself and why? Well, I think lacumanum is the, the most important one. <laughs> um, and look, bowel nozodes, I, I, you know, use bowel If you've got a bit of a tummy upset, it, you know, there's a range of the bowel nozodes that I would take from time to time if something's happened. Um, but then, of course, you know, for me, it's more aches and pains these days. You know, if I hurt myself at tennis, you know, I'll reach for the Rostox. Um, but, you know, lacumanum is... Uh, I think our most important remedy that we do have, and I wasn't breastfed. And so the thing is when um, that's been your start in life, there needs to be repair done on that. And I would say that clinically um, when I've dealt with anybody over several years, the the need to give lacumanum will come up because that's usually the primary etiology for a case because if that start to life didn't happen, you know, it's, it's a scratch in the record that needs to be you know, rubbed out. Absolutely. Now, how can our listeners get hold of you and the amazing work that you do? Where are some places they can find you? Look, I'm, I've got a website that's got a lot of free stuff on it, and it's patriciahatherley.com, and uh, there's a contact me button there. Um, certainly my phone number's there. 
um, on Patricia at patriciahatherley.com for an email. I'm happy for anybody to email me. Um, and I do a lot of work by Skype, you know, overseas and throughout Australia. So if anyone would like consultations, it's easy enough to arrange. Uh, but I'm, you know, I'm quite happy to be generous with my time with quick questions. It doesn't bother me at all. Um, because I'm an educator, you know, it's teaching was my profession. And, and the thing is, when you're a teacher, it's sort of like, you know, listen, I, I've got this stuff to share with you. And I'm very passionate about it, you know, wanting people to know the good news. You know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's such an important thing, you know, to go to the breast is a baby's birthright. And, you know, nobody's advocating for babies. You know, they, they've kind of seen as a bit of a commodity that, you know, the state owns, you know, you know it's not like that. It's, they're um, very vulnerable, very precious, and that whole thing about the mother and baby is very sacrosanct, I think. You know, we need to, as a community, be aware of that and preserve it and, and have a conversation about how we can help mothers, you know, to have meaningful lives in Korea and still be mothers so there should be workplace crashes, there should be more working from home, more flexibility, more job sharing. I would like the government to pay mothers who breastfeed, give them a bonus because of what they're doing for the population. Mm-hmm. You know, it's we just need to, to get real. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Today has been so wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I know there's going to be a lot of mums out there today that's going to really benefit from this information that you've shared. So thank you so much for your time. It's been my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. So thank you very much. And thank you to everybody who's listened.